Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Is it better to be safe than sorry? Better to be safe than sorry is an expression that, quite frankly, is a cliché and prior to 2020 was looked at it that way. Now, it's not uncommon as you're saying goodbye to someone in person or online for someone to tell you, be safe. Has that what we've become, people who crave safety? I made the observation the other day that when someone sneezed, it used to be greeted with, God bless you. Now, one is looked upon with grave suspicion if one dares to sneeze or cough in public. So, has what we've been going through for the last year made us more safe? And the question is, more safe than what? The people of God were given a command by Jesus to make disciples and baptize in the name of the Trinity. This command is not rescinded because of pandemics or war or political division. At a time when the good news of Jesus Christ is vital for all people to hear, many state and local governments have banned worship and find those churches which remain open. My guest today is Neil Mammon. Neil is an engineer during the day and teaches the historic and scientific defense of the truth of Christianity at night. His ministry is called No Blind Faith. He also happens to be the president of the Values Advocacy Council. He is an ordained pastor and the author of multiple books, including Jesus is Involved in Politics, Why Aren't You? Why Isn't Your Church? He is also married with three children whom he and his wife homeschool. Neil, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. Neil and I have crossed paths, although he hasn't always known that I've been in the audience when he is behind the microphone on stage. But he is a very strong proponent that to be a Christian doesn't mean that you have to stop thinking. Um, that seems to be an idea that Christians are only supposed to feel things, but they're not supposed to use their powers of reasoning. Well, I recently came across an article that you wrote called The Role of the Church in a Pandemic. Tell us what you wrote that because of, what questions are you answering, and what are the sort of objections that people are currently presenting? Well, the uh, background of that is we attend a church, Calvary Chapel in San Jose, which the pastor in May decided that it was wrong for the state to tell him to be closed. I mean, first of all, we have a First Amendment. Secondly, we have a God-given right. I, just for clarity, for you, I'm sure your audience knows this, but the state doesn't give us any rights. All our rights come from God. The role of the state is to protect the rights that God has given us. So this is the foundational principle here. So therefore, if God says that we should do something, then their state is supposed to come and protect that uh, ability and that right. So uh, the state had decided that they were going to shut down the church, and the church, uh, the pastor felt burdened by God that that was not his role. His role was to be there to minister. And so he's opened up, and as a result, uh, there are five times as many people going to that church now as 
have been going when they uh, reopened. And it has blossomed, and we've had baptisms. We've had about 100 baptisms uh, in the last few months, and we've had multiple people come to Christ. There's always an altar call every Sunday. It's a very thriving community of people, and the church is busy every night of the week. You know, there's uh, Bible studies, there's book clubs, there's everything. So the pastor felt that he should do that. Well, of course, the state came down, the county came down, actually, and decided to fine him. They started fining him and threatened him with prison time. So the day the county said they were going to show up, um, we decided we were going to have a news conference. And so we gathered a number of the pastors in the area and uh, in association with the lawyers, uh, the lawyers who are defending him is advocates for faith and freedom with Bob Tyler. By the way, if you're listening to this and you have a church that wants to go through this and open up yourself, which I recommend heartily, it will not only grow your congregation, it will also grow your faith, but you should contact advocates for faith and freedom. Just look them up. Uh, Robert Tyler is the lead attorney there. So we had a press conference, and this is the these were the comments I made at the press conference because you know we had NBC, ABC, CBS, and I believe even Fox showed up. So and of course the Epic Times, one of our favorite news organizations, they are definitely uh, in, in line with us and they agree with us on many things. So we we had and this was the conversation that was the premise of uh, the presentation that I made. So there's a lot of different ways you can go in terms of why a church or the church should remain open. You can give medical reasons. You can cite statistics. You can talk about things like you did uh, First Amendment. But mm -hmm. primarily, the church wasn't so much saying, we are going to defy the state. The perspective was obedience to the Lord and to God's law word. Exactly. I mean, so if you if you premise this as, well, you are trying to stifle our First Amendment uh, Prince of uh, Liberties, and we're going to show you that you can't, that you'd be taking it in the wrong context. The, every time God gives us a law, or every time there's a law, there's a good reason for that law. Uh, when God says, don't do this, there's a good reason. If he says, don't have sex before marriage, there's a very valid reason for that. And and the consequences of that are, are terrible. I mean, you've seen the consequences of sex outside of marriage and, and, and the divorce and the fatherless kids and abortion and all that. So we, there's very good reason for every law that God gives us. And one of the laws he gives us is that we should assemble on Sunday. So if we if we say we're just doing this to... To show that we have the freedom, that would be the false, that would be the wrong thing. We're doing it because it was a good reason for it. And we should start way back in the beginning. And I start my presentation with this. I said, look, um, years ago, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was told by his politicians, and then let me frame this correctly, who were Jesus' politicians? People think that the Romans were Jesus' politicians. No, the, the Jews had a fully functioning republic. Okay, they had... Uh, senators, they had representatives, and I say republic specifically because their, our republic was based on their republic. Uh, so they had senators and representatives and lawyers and judges, and these people made their law. The Romans didn't make the laws. Imagine, remember back when we were uh, governing Iraq, we didn't make all their local laws. It was, it's too much, you can't do that. So the Romans would appoint a governor and then all the local laws were run locally. And so they had their lawyer, their, their senators, representatives, all their laws. And above all this, they had the Torah and the Torah was what would be equal to our constitution. And below that, they have all their lesser laws. And so that's what they're legislating. Well, one of the laws that his politicians, members of the Sanhedrin, 
who would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So you see Jesus was involved in politics on a daily basis with his Pharisees and Sadducees. And no, they were not just religious laws. They were laws of all sorts and all kinds. But one of the laws they came up with is that you can't heal on the Sabbath. And there was a law against it. And what did Jesus do? He healed on the Sabbath. He said, why? Because you have taken the intent of the law and twisted it. So why are we uh, open on Sundays? Well, for the last 2,000 years, the church has been the most effective in dealing with pandemics. If we go back to the plagues in Rome. In Rome, when the plagues came, the, uh, the rich Romans would flee the cities. Who would be left? Well, the poor Christians and the persecuted Christians. And they would come out and they would gather the dying, the poor, the broken into their homes. Uh, they would go out and they would actually, uh, every night they would go out and look for abandoned children and they would bring them in. So they were violating all the laws and they were violating all the common concepts of what you should do. Oh, in a pandemic, you should run away. They were running to the sick. They were running to take care of the sick. And uh, the church has created the first charities, the first hospital, the first orphanages. We changed laws. The church has changed so many laws. There are thousands and thousands of laws that we have changed that nobody, no non-believers would have ever thought about changing. For instance, we banned child prostitution, widow burning. Uh, we stopped the superstitious killing of twins. In India, uh, they had something called sati, which was widow burning, and they would throw women on their uh, widows on their husband's funeral priors. Well, guess who stopped that? The Christians stopped that. We banned, banned gladiatorial combat. We stopped slavery and the abandonment of children, the abandonment of elders. We have stepped in and gotten involved politically and changed the laws because God has, has instructed us, has commanded us to teach, to reach the poor, the dying, the sick, and to bring justice to those who are the widows and the orphans and to take care of them too. Why do you think that this is such a hard message to get across to people and why so many churches have not only remained closed, but have sort of patted themselves on the back saying they're doing the right thing? Well, so there's a couple of reasons that I've come up, and I've talked to a bunch of uh, uh, pastors. Uh, one of them is, uh, you know, the, the first thing is, well, if I keep my church open, could, could we become a super spreader event, right? And everybody go, every, we spread and everybody dies. All our church people die, right? So that's the first thing. Well, the amazing thing about this pandemic is that it's not really a pandemic. It's a very bad flu season and it could spread. And But here's the other thing. It's not the Spanish flu. I mean, let's be honest, folks. If this was the Spanish flu and people were dying every time you talked to your neighbors, they would get the get something from you and die, it would be completely different. Then we would say, yes, maybe it does make sense to stay home and only very key people go out and, and minister to the poor. But it's not. I mean, this, you have a, you know, it's like you have a 99 point, what, nine, six chance of surviving if you're below the age of 60. And, and we know very specifically the demographics of the people who die. We, we, we know it's people who have comorbidities. We know what those comorbidities are. We also know um, that it's people who are over a certain age, right? So if you're in that risk category, then you should stay home. But if you're not in that risk category, you should go out and minister to people. So the first objection does not stand. Could it kill our worshipers? And a good example is if you look at our church, where we're having about a thousand people gather every weekend. Uh, we've not had a single case of COVID. 
um, traceable to that church. We've not had a single person die in the church because of COVID. Uh, if you look at MacArthur's church, a church of about 8,000, same thing. Since the time they've been open, nothing. There's a church down, another church down in Southern California uh, with about 1,200 people gathering on a weekly basis. And again, nothing. So uh, is it a dangerous disease? Yeah, people can die of it. If you're in that comorbidity group or uh, elderly, I would say you should stay home or, you know, do the social distancing and do everything you need to do. But if you're a teenager, if you're a kid, if you're a 30-year-old, if you're a 50-year-old, and you are don't have any of those comorbidities, this is not dangerous. So pastors can say, look, if you're in one of those groups, you should probably stay home. Uh, we'll come minister to you. But if you're, you know, and we'll ob ob observe the appropriate requirements. But if you're not, we need to be here. So that's the first reason. There's a okay, second let me just stop you there for a second. Yeah. That's a very generous reason. I think there's a less generous explanation that too many churches have looked at the people who show up as their, um, like, like if, if it was they were doing a movie or a, a theater oh, presentation, yeah, it's, it's, that they're yeah, there yeah. just sort of being the recipients of things that they don't look at themselves as an army. So why wouldn't they stay home um, if they could just watch the show on television as opposed to getting dressed and going right. there? I think there's some <laughs> element of that. Well, yes, uh, and and that's true. I, I didn't I didn't address that in my article. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were nicer than I am, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that is true. There is a, there's a bunch of churches that are just performers. You come on stage, you you pay your tithe to watch a performance, and you go you go away feeling good, right? Not convicted. You know, I always liked the the story somebody told me um, about the the older churches back in the 1800s. When you left church, you you would you would ask yourself, or people would ask you, well, how how did you suffer under the sermon of the pastor? Meaning, how much did it convict you? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. We leave like, well, did that make you feel good? <laughs> you know, was it a good? Not, not that. Not that there's anything wrong with feeling good. I always, you know, I always like to when I do my sermons on on sin or some theology, I like to hit them with the harsh truth. But then I. I want to offer the hope at the end. So I do want you feeling good, but I, I want you to understand that you're feeling good uh, despite yourself, <laughs> you know, not because of yourself, right? Uh, right? It's because of the message, because of what Christ has done for us. So uh, so that's the first thing. But the other, there's another, there's a couple of other uh, options, reasons why churches are object. They're like, if I open up, all our community are going to think that we are trying to kill people and it will be a bad witness to us. Right, and this is uh, this is something that I I think a lot of churches are like, oh, it'll be a bad witness because we're violating all the laws. People won't understand. It'll leave a stain on their on their um, in their image, and they'll never come to church. I don't think this is a valid reason, and here's why: those who hate your church and hate the message will hate your church whether you open it or not. They are looking for excuses. I uh, once was talking to a friend of mine, and uh, their parents were really liberal, and they were going to a church uh, that I knew was not necessarily liberal, but never talked about the tough issues. And I, I remember uh, one day they said, oh, they're not going to that. I was talking to them, and they said, oh, they're not going to that church anymore. I said, why? He says, well, the pastor said something that insulted them. 
I'm like, that pastor would never insult anybody if his life depended on upon <laughs> it. That's impossible. So I go listen to the message to see what insulted him. And there's nothing in the message that would insult anybody. But apparently they picked something out of it. And I asked him later and it was something minor. It's like, look, we're looking for something to hate your church with. <laughs> you know, so we're not going to come anymore. Well, uh, just those- listen to the logic of that. <laughs> we, don't want to inf- we don't want to insult the people who aren't coming. Right. If they're already not coming, then what then, are you? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I I don't think uh, this is a a, a, um, a real issue. So, but meanwhile, meanwhile, and this is something we didn't cover yet. Meanwhile, people are dying, and this is something I think that is very important. This is the premise of all this. What is happening to society with this lockdown? And I'll give you some of the stats I gave at the at that uh, news conference. Uh, calls to the hotlines in LA have increased by eight thousand percent. So suicide hotlines, abuse hotlines, you know, the mix of all these, all the hotlines that they have, calls have increased by 8,000%, right? So uh, 25% of young adults have seriously considered suicide in the past month. In fact, uh, we were at a church in Colorado, and the pastor had about 100 kids in the high school group. And he said, with every head bowed, every eye closed, um, raise your hand if you've considered suicide in the last week or month. And 27 of the kids raised their hands. Wow. Wow. I mean, this is, this is, he has an incredible impact on the psyche, on the mental health. Uh, we are not designed to live in solitary isolation. I mean, think about it. In, in prison, when they want to punish you and torture you, they put you in solitary isolation. Mm-hmm. And here we are creating, think about the single people, right? People who aren't married or uh, the elderly who, who need the touch? Need I mean, uh, think about uh, a widowed a widowed lady who's maybe in their 60s and 70s, and their kids live in another state. I mean, what are we what are we thinking about? You know, what are these people going through? This is not something for you know. This is not something minor. It's huge. And so, right. Uh, wait, let me just say, interrupt for a second. The other day, I was out for a walk, and this woman who um, was older than I am. I would have put her somewhere in her eighties. She was walking without a mask. I was walking without a mask. And she looked at me as we passed by and she said, Oh, you're one of those people who likes to breathe. And I said, yeah, that's me. (laughs) And she said, yeah, I can't get my family to come out and walk with me. They're all so afraid. She said, the one thing I do miss is being hugged. And I had, you know, we had never met each other before that. I said, well, why don't we just hug? What's your name? She told me what's, and I gave her my name. And Neil, when she hugged me, she would not let go. It's like she had not been hugged. Oh, Um, in months. Yeah. 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 So it was kind of interesting that you talk about how difficult, and she was one of the healthy ones. She decided she wasn't going to stop living, but she talked about her husband and her daughter. They're just so afraid to leave their house. Yeah. I, I, you know, and this is, this is the danger. I mean, uh, you know, that suicide and drug overdose deaths in teens are greater than the COVID deaths in their, in that demographic. I mean, we're, we're killing people who don't need to, I mean, we're letting, or we're killing people, they're killing themselves, but we're, we're promoting the killing of people uh, who don't need to be dying, who shouldn't be dying. Uh, active duty military suicides are up 20%. There's a 20% increase in substance abuse. There's a 41% increase in heavy alcohol use by women. And here's the scary thing. While domestic violence reporting has gone down, domestic violence injuries are up by 200%. Right. Somebody pointed out that California's very wise governor stopped AA meetings 
but yeah. allows liquor stores to be open. So, yeah, you know, it's like, isn't that great? Yeah, hey, so we can see the the stupidity, if you will, the the illogic, the uh, all this. So coming back to the churches, so so here's the deal with the churches. If you open up your churches, you might be a bad witness to people around you, but how many people will you be saving from mental diseases, suicide, and depression? People are looking for pastors and leaders with a backbone. Uh, they're looking for someone who can lead them out of Egypt, if you will, you know, who can stand in the gap. And this is what attracted people to the church during the Roman Empire. Right? They were like, here's somebody who is willing to stand for something, willing to die for something, willing to suffer for things uh, that, have, that reach out to people and care for people. So that's the second reason is if you open our church, will it be a bad mess to people? The first one being, is this a real pandemic that can kill everybody? The third one is, do we really want to stand in blatant violation of our authorities? Do we want to go around uh, violating our authorities? And they, you know, they bring up the Bible about, you know, it says render unto Caesar what is Caesar and God or what is God's, right? And, uh, you know, the, 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 the sword is not given. Uh, if you go and look at that passage, uh, the passage is about leaders are appointed by God to do good. And so that passage does not apply to leaders who are doing bad. Right? right. And that passage is about people who bring justice. Right. So any way you look at that, that passage is not talking about submitting to a Hitler or submitting to a bad ruler or submitting to abortion or submitting to any of these things. Right. It has to do with submitting to a leader who's there to bring justice. And well, these leaders are not. So pastors not only have to rebel in against the state, but they're in a sense required to rebel. I mean, think of all the laws that we've changed over the over time. Every time we've changed the things of the laws against slavery. Remember the churches were hiding slaves, right? You know, the slaves would escape from the South, they'd come to the North, and it was a church that hid them. It was a church that was part of the Underground Railroad. We were violating the law, what? Because it was a higher law. We were violating the officials. We were violating the presidents. We were violating everybody in authority. Why? Because we knew that the only person who was really had the authority to tell us what to do was Almighty God. And he was telling us that we have to free the slaves. So we can see that uh, as, a, as a great position against what we're seeing here. I mean, if if pastors can't rebel against the state when they're wrong, then when what are they standing for? Right? So exactly. the second, so the third one has no value at all, right? Um, the fourth one, I think, is <laughs> the, the, the last two are more of a financial thing. And I think this does. One, I, a couple of pastors I talked to said, well, you know what? If we open up, we won't have any insurance. They, if we get sued for, um, for somebody getting COVID, nobody will insure it. Well, first of all, nobody can sue you for getting COVID because it's how can you prove that they got COVID at your church, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's going to be very hard. But secondly, there are insurance companies who will give you coverage and if you uh, leave your co uh, contact information, if, if, if they want to give you your, their contact information, you can pass on to me. I have about three or four companies in California who will cover you if you are open, uh, insurance companies, that is. And, um, and if you know of some outside the state, let me know because I get emails every so often from people outside okay, the state. Okay, so I want to tackle that one. See, from my point of view... Even if somebody did get COVID at a church, wouldn't invalidate the very good reasons to have a church open. But for people to be concerned that their insurance would be canceled, 
seems to be that they're only willing to do the right thing if it doesn't cost them financially, <laughs> in which case they probably have never read Fox's Book of Martyrs because exactly. that was not the primary concern of people who stood for their faith. Agreed. I agree. But the problem is it's a hard – when I'm making that argument to a pastor, that argument is so esoteric to him. He'll be like, okay, yeah, I know that, but I can't. I'm not – it, it, it's a hard argument to make, and I totally agree it is the right argument. But, you know, the, the reality, though, is if we can find them an insurance company, even better, right? So no, then, no, I get um, it. I, I mean, <laughs> we have to realize that people are in various stages of maturity when it comes to really applying the faith for all of life. And so um, I, I think what you're doing is useful because you're providing talking points. When people say we can't do this because of that, you're then coming back with, no, yes, you can, and can. here's why. So here's I'm not exactly. devaluing the arguments. I right, just, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but as I said, I mean, if you if you if you, uh, I would say that's a that's something that we want to end with, and because if we if we can phrase it and, and alleviate all their lesser fears, and then we say, by the way. And <laughs> you right. really should be more concerned about how God is going to deal with you and not how your, you know, how your finances are going to deal with you, right? Yeah, right. So. He's the ultimate insurance policy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But here's the other thing. Here's the funny thing that actually invalidates number four. Um, are we being a good steward of our tithes if we're hit with fines? Because that's the other thing. So the pastor was hit with, they're hit with about almost $800,000 worth of fines. That's what our church has been hit with. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Uh, there is no exception in the First Amendment for a pandemic, right? So yeah. even if you, uh, while we know these, uh, these truths are self-evident, that there is no exception for a pandemic, and you have the freedom to assemble, the Constitution actually does not make any exception for a pandemic. So the First Amendment says, yeah, if there's a pandemic or there's a war or whatever, you can still gather for religious purposes. So... Um, so we don't think this will ever last. Now, uh, in court, this, these fines, you know, they can come up with a, as many fines as they want. But we believe once it gets to the Supreme Court, and thankfully we've got at least five uh, conservatives on there now, uh, once it gets to the Supreme Court, this is going to go away. All these fines are going to go away. But here's the second part of it. Many churches have been closed and their tides have been going downhill. I know a big church here that in the summer, this is in June, they said their tides had gone down by 30%. And every email that they were sending out to people said, you know, really, we really need, we are in this dire state. We need more money. I know a couple of people told me about a, a few churches, smaller churches that were shut down. And when they reopened, nobody came. Why? Because they either said we can stay online and see, you know, why should I watch my pastor's sermons when I can watch MacArthur's sermons, right? If, right. if, that's, if that's all I'm getting is just a talking point, I got YouTube all day long, right? Well, I can just pick my sermon I want for the day, right? I don't need to go to church to hear a sermon. You don't go to church to hear a sermon. You go to church to hear a sermon, to have friends, to have family. And this is what I told my... Uh, and and like, to worship God in uh, yes. the congregation. <laughs> Together, right? You know, right. In, in, in corporately worship God and to corporately pray, which has a lot of value. And to gather, like God has said, on a regular basis and to have communion. These are all commandments. You, you know, these are all key elements of our faith. But here's the other part of it. When you go to church, there is a 
uh, a sense of being part of a body and there's also the support structure. I remember um, I was talking to some friends of mine and who are not Christians and they said, what's, what's the big deal about going to church? Why you all? I said, you don't understand this. This is our community. You know, our, we had a, our daughter died in 2009. I said, when our daughter died, the entire church community came around us and they supported us and they were there. These are the people I've done life with. These are the people I've known for 20 years, right? These are the people that are part of our family. And so when something, if I were to die tomorrow, I know they would be there to take care of my wife, to be there for her, to support her, her friends, her family. You know, these are the people that, these are family. This is what you don't get on a Zoom call, right? Exactly. And you're not going to get that on the Zoom call. And I said, so, so, in fact, what I'm telling pastors is if you open up, your church will grow. Our church has grown fivefold since uh, the pastor opened up. And, and to be honest, this is not the church I started going to. We, we moved churches when they opened. Our church is still closed, and so we moved. And what's interesting is uh, most of our friends came with us. So, right, so uh, let's talk about the tithe here. And it, it may seem like a bunny trail, but knowing that you are a historian of church history and the progress of the church, the tithe was never meant for the building fund or to get fancy seats. The tithe was supposed to finance things like health, education, welfare, the very thing that the state has taken over. So when they shut everything down, now we see you can't go to school, you can't get health care without certain, you know, restrictions, um, and then taking care of the poor. I think this um, is an opportunity for the church to get back to what the church is supposed to be. I always, I play a game with my, uh, my audience. I don't know if you were part of that, uh, one of those talks where I talk about, you know, what, aren't Christians supposed to take care of the poor? Aren't we supposed to heal the sick? Isn't, wasn't Jesus a socialist? Right, I've been in that one, so keep going. That's the talk you give. So, so I say, well, you know, let me tell you the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan? He goes out, he's walking down, he sees the poor guy beaten up by thugs, and he takes him to the innkeeper. And we always forget the innkeeper in this story. And he gives the man over to the innkeeper, and he says, "Look, I'm going to pay half of it, and when I come back, I want you, Mr. Innkeeper, to pay the rest of it." (laughs) And everybody looks at that and go, "Wait, something's wrong with that story." I said, "Wait, he didn't ask the innkeeper to pay for the rest of it." They say, no, he didn't. He said, I said, no, 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 don't tell me. I know what he said. He said, I will, when I come back, I will bring some thugs and we will take big clubs and beat up all your neighbors and force them to pay the rest of it for the, for the poor man or the beaten up man. And, they go, and the audience says, no, that wasn't it either. I said, no, I remember. What, I, what, what the, what the uh, Good Samaritan said is when I come back, I'm going to bring the IRS and some guns and they're going to collect taxes on everybody and pay for the poor beaten up man. And the audience says, no, that's not it. And I said, yeah, what did the innkeeper say? I mean, what did the Good Samaritan say? And the audience says, the Good Samaritan said, I will pay for it myself. You see, Jesus said, you pay for the poor, not force your neighbor to do so at the point of an IRS agent's gun. Because that's all that taxes for charity is, is forcing your neighbor to pay for your favorite charity, not what they want to pay for. The church has always been the one that came in to take care of the poor and to take care of, in fact, as I said, we started the first charities, the first hospitals, the first orphanages. We were doing that, and this is the role of the church. We don't need welfare. We don't need, and here's the other thing about it that's very interesting about it, is when the church provides welfare, it's six times, it's sometimes as much as six times more efficient than the state providing it. I mean, the, uh, just recently, city team here in San Jose 
uh, I shouldn't say recently, it was about four or five years ago, put out an ad that said it cost the state, the city of Cal- uh, city of San Jose, uh, $67,000 for one homeless person, and it cost city team $12,000 per year. Right. And, uh, and I brought this up with Mayor Sam Licardo, and he said, where'd you get those numbers from? And the guy who wrote that ad was sitting in the audience. He said, from the website, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from the San Jose website. That's where I got those numbers from. And and then he said, you know, here's one thing we didn't say in that ad. In in that ad, it cost the city of San Jose $67,000 to deal with a homeless person. That's medical services. That's emergency. That's fire. Uh, you know, that's the ambulances. That's uh, the crime, all that stuff. And he says, um, but what they didn't say is that it costs them that every year because that person goes back on the back out on the street after whatever, you know, imprisonment or whatever they do, and they'll do it again. Whereas with city team, after $12,000, that person is off the street. Right. The same is true with education. Um, The amount of money it takes to educate one child in the state school system to make them oftentimes functionally illiterate, socialistic, and haters of their country is far greater than what it takes to educate a child in a homeschool situation Absolutely. where the parents are making sure that the child really understands their faith, their history, and what God has called them to do. Amen. And, and the beauty about the COVID thing, I guess, the one beauty, the one silver lining is that millions of parents are saying, you know what? Homeschooling sounds actually something that we can do. We were always afraid to do it. Now, a lot of parents are like, oh, I can't do it. I just can't wait to get them out to school. But a lot of parents we've talked to have said, hey, you know what? This actually isn't as hard as we thought it was. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's something that you should be doing. If you care about your kids, you should be doing it. Now, you can go to academies, you know, a couple of days a week and stuff like that to help shore things up and things like that. But uh, there's so many uh, so many opportunities for homeschooling, so many resources for homeschooling now. Over and over again, the reasons not to open the church, as you've outlined, has a lot to do with fear. And I was just kind of doing a quick counting in my head. How many times when Jesus appears, he says, fear not, Mm -hmm. fear not. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's the imperative, fear not. Absolutely. And he, why? Because he... He has his plans, and he's going to use his plans to glorify himself through us. He's going to use us uh, as his vessels, and we will gain in that, because we're designed to bring glory to God and gain joy through that. And so he's going to allow us to glorify him and bring glory to himself and, and bring great benefit to us. And so he knows his plans for us, but we have to act. And this exactly. is the thing that most people forget. It's like, well, if God's going to do what he's going to do, why should I do anything? And I said, well, remember the, the children of Israel. They had to march around Jericho 13 times. It is 13, by the way. It's six, once a day for six days and seven the seventh day. Oh, that's right. <laughs> seven times on the last day. So it was 13 times he walked around Jericho. Uh, and on the last day, they had to walk around it seven times. Now, did they have to do that? I mean, couldn't God, couldn't we, they just said, look, God, you're going to bring down the walls of Jericho when we just sit down here and then you just bring the walls down and we'll go and take the city. And God said, no, I'm showing you something. I'm showing, showing you something. I'm showing the children, the, the, the people of Jericho or something just before they get decimated. Um, 
but he's I'm also showing the entire world something. He's going to glorify himself in that. So he says, you've got to do something. And when the children of Israel refused to do something, remember earlier when they said, we can't go in, they're full of giants, what happened? They got 40 years in the wilderness. Right. So you want to be active. You want to do what God has commanded you to do. And he's commanded us to take possession. He said, occupy until he returns. And right. that's what we should be doing. And faith without works is a dead faith. And, and people oftentimes like to say, well, we're not saved by our works. Okay, conceded the point, stipulated. We are not saved by our works. But if there are no good works, then you're basically demonstrating by what's lacking the fruit of the Spirit. Yes. So the works are the evidence of the faith within you that is thriving and growing. Exactly. So are you suggesting to people who might be listening, if your church is an open, find one that is, even if it's not exactly the denomination that you have always been attached to? Absolutely. I mean, in a sense, uh, just so you know, denominational churches are dying. They, they keep talking about the church in America is dying, this, then the other. But actually, if you start looking at the stats, denominational churches are complete are dying on the vine. What's, hap- what's happening instead, people are going to the non-denominational churches, which are exploding. Uh, there's a huge influx of uh, youth and adults into these churches and non-Christians, because these people are very active evangelistically. They're all, they have... Uh, ministry outreaches, they have all these outreaches. So, yeah, if it's not it's not your denomination, don't worry, just find one that believes in the Bible. You want to make sure that they are, um, you know, in line with the Bible and not a cult or some obscure, uh, uh, you know, uh, have some strange beliefs. But in general, I would recommend go to another church. Or, I mean, first, I would say, give your pastor the choice. Send him an email Try to meet with them and just say, Pastor, we really think you should open up. Here's what's happening. Uh, you can, um, f- hopefully, Andrew, you can have a link to my uh, my article. Sure. In, and that way people can look it up and see all the points there uh, on the stream. Uh, <clears throat> and, and, and try to talk to him. And then if he says no, then consider going to another church. Now, w- am I asking him to go to the other church and stay in the other church? No. Um, I would think that if you go to another church, you'll probably fall in love with it and like it and stay, and that's a risk that the pastor's going to have to take. But I would certainly say you should not forsake the gathering of the saints. I think it's very important for you. It's very important for your kids. If you have any kids, I mean, I remember the few weeks we were not, uh, our kids were not going to youth group. My uh, 13-year-old was getting rather depressed and down, and now she's attending youth group on a weekly basis, and she's thriving she's you know she's got her friends i mean she misses the friends who she used to hang out with because some of them are saying no no we can't so but we have gatherings we have in fact uh, you know there are all these events that we have planned for the kids to get together uh, and i think you should be you should be trying to be as normal as possible for your kids because you know they this is a huge traumatic thing for them i mean i don't know if you remember when you were growing up but if i didn't see my friends um or I had to stay home for any reason, it was a punishment. It was like I'd done something wrong. The only reason I stayed home when I was a kid was because I had been bad. <laughs> or in my case, it's because I was sick. <laughs> oh, I yeah. Stay home. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, most of the other time, I, I was out there in the, you know, outdoors. So let me just say this. I'm not suggesting, and I don't think you are either. I mean, people go to different churches for different reasons, and people have definite theological perspectives, and these are not things that should be discounted as unimportant. However, 
we are told not to refrain from meeting together. And that's what we're called to do. Um, you can still maintain a theological distinctive. You might actually end up in excellent conversations with people who you might not normally hang out with. But if you see the Spirit of God in someone, we have to remember that this is the body of Christ. The elbow doesn't always look like the eyelash, yet there's still parts of the body. And I think that we might see in this people taking down false barriers that have been erected and recognizing that I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. But here's, and here's the other thing I think it's very important that we consider. If you want to destroy a nation, if you want to take over the church, what's the easiest way to do it than to say, oh, let's create a bogus pandemic. I'm not saying this is bogus, but let's say the next time somebody wants to come up with a way to control America. Hey, let's start this pandemic. Let's call it a pandemic and shut down everything. And now you have the, the beginnings of being able to take over a nation uh, or to shut down the church. You know, there's so many different ways. And we should look at this. We should say, look, we know that there, you know, there's, the, there's a history of persecution in many nations. Uh, can I come to America? I remember when I first came, I'm an immigrant here. Your listeners may not be familiar with that, but I was born in Ghana and grew up in Africa. Uh, came here after living in the Middle East. My parents are of Indian origin. Uh, so I came here as an immigrant, and I, you know, I loved America before I came here. But when I got here, I realized a lot of Americans thought, well, America has been here forever, and it'll continue forever. And I think, I remember thinking, what? Are you serious? <laughs> you know, I said, nations die. History is littered with their bones. And for you to think that America can't happen to America is is one of the reasons why it would happen to America. Uh, you have to be eternally vigilant. You have to be uh, aware that something could happen, things could go wrong. You've got to be involved politically, spiritually. Um, you've got to be involved with taking care of the poor and, and making sure that's not a reason why things happen. Uh, we have to be active in all aspects if we care about this nation. Absolutely. And I think that the more it goes on, especially as it comes into Christmas and people being told, you can't go visit or be with other people. I think the things like mask wearing and everything else will stop when people take off the mask. You don't have to wait yeah. for permission yeah. to show your face, to smile at other people and things like that. Um, but as long as you're waiting for permission, it'll never come. Agreed. And and here's the other thing. And you, you, you triggered a thought that I'd, I've talked about in, in, in some fashion before. I was talking to a pastor. It's called um, Grace Church in Arvada, California. And I was talking to the pastor. And at, at, when I met him uh, over Thanksgiving, he felt that he was the only pastor who was open. And he was pretty much was the only pastor that was open. And he was feeling um, attacked and, and all that. And, and I was able to come along and introduce him to all these other pastors and encourage them, you know, who are also open uh, and to the lawyers and all that. And, and, and it was a great time. And I said, something that uh, you, you must remember is this is not just a, a battle spiritually, but it's a political battle too. And the political battle is not fought with words. It's fought with masses. <laughs> In other words, the more you can market the reasons, the more people you can get along, the more passes you can get to jump on board and say, no, we're not going to stand for this. We're not going to allow this. The more power you have politically. So this is not something, I mean, so in other words, if all the pastors in California 
Here we are in California. Everybody's shutting down. If every single pastor in California would stand up and say, and there's something like, I don't know, there's something like 30,000 pastors in California or something like that. It's a huge number, right? If every pastor or even a tenth of those pastors, not tenth, if at least half of those pastors were to stand up and say, no, we're not closing down. We're not shutting down. We're not wearing masks except when people want to, and I, we're not going to be the policeman to enforce mm-hmm. people wearing masks. Guess what? Overnight, the state would change its tune on churches. Now, they may not change its tune on businesses. And that's the same thing with businesses. If every business in California said, look, I'm a small business, uh, every small business owner were to gather together and start the small business owners group, and they were to say, no, we are all going to violate these laws. We're all going to be open. And by the way, Mr. Politician, next election, you're out. Right. Right. See, that's the thing. People, because they have been poorly educated, even in the history, not only of church, but of this nation, don't understand that our founding fathers, for example, would be pulling out their hair, seeing how all this compliance with things far greater than they were contending with back then. Yeah. Interestingly enough, this whole situation opens up a lot of things. Should the government be licensing business? Should the government be involved in education? I'm not sure they're going to be happy when all is said and done with the can of worms that were opened up. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, so for instance, I'm glad you brought that up. Should the government be involved in licensing business? Absolutely not. Should the health department be involved with telling businesses that they are healthy enough to open up? No. And here's why. You're like, well, when somebody goes to a business and they have a a salmonella or a bacteria, then I'm going to die. I said, well, you know, there's an alternative to that. There's an alternative. It's the same alternative you have when you open up, when you pick up your hairdryer to dry your hair in the morning. There is no government agency saying this is a safe hairdryer. There is a private agency called the UL. And no company will sell you a hairdryer or any electrical a- equipment unless it has a UL listing. And UL is private. And not only is it private, that if the UL releases a hairdryer that would kill you, guess who suffers? UL suffers, and the company who released the hairdryer suffers, right? So it's a check. It's a check and a balance, and it's a private check and a balance. But imagine if somebody gets sick tomorrow because a health director of your local county said that health, uh, that restaurant was okay. Guess who would suffer? Not the health director, because exactly. he has no skin in the game. He doesn't care. It's the same reason why the remember that whole BP blow up happened in, in the in the Bay of uh, you know down in Texas in Louisiana mm-hmm. area. Remember that the BP yes. oil well. Well, yes. it had just been checked weeks before by an official state agency. Did anybody get fired in that state agency because they checked? They, they passed a BP oil well that was failing, that was clearly failing. No, nobody suffered. Why? Because there's n- the government does not have any, uh, res- takes no responsibility. So all these things, so business should not be licenses. They should be, they should have private, independent licensors and let them compete against each other. Hey, you know, we've had less people dying when we did this, you know, because with the government, people die and nobody pays for that, except for maybe exactly. the company does, right? So, so to go back to my original question, is it better to be safe than sorry? I think we can conclude with an accurate reading of scripture that the only safety there is in following God's word and those who don't will ultimately be the ones who are sorry. Yes, all laws have a purpose. Neil, thank you. I know that you're very active in all the stuff that's happening in our area, and I'm glad that you are. Um, Listeners, I will provide links so that you'll be able to contact him. 
And as always, if you would like to comment on this podcast or give suggestions for future ones, you can reach me at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.